Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I'm very excited to bring you a brand new episode this week uh, with my friend Charlie Allegine that I've known since 88, 89, somewhere in there when my family relocated from Michigan to Colorado. And I spent the last month of my sophomore year at Coronado High School and then my junior and senior year and graduated there as well. Uh, That first month was kind of crazy because we moved uh, at the end of April. So there was only one month of school left and I had to start, you know, different classes and things. Um, It was really just kind of a weird transition because of the timing and all that. But it worked out and uh, made some great friends there that I still keep in touch with to this day, Charlie being one of them. And uh, Charlie is uh, is a specialist in SEO and website design and that sort of thing, which I, I've tried to understand it. There's certain elements of it that I get, and there's some things that just, you know, everything I read contradicts something else that I've read. Um, and so I'm really more about just the experimentation of, you know, does, does this work for my particular thing? Because I'm very specialized. I do the relaxation music, but I also do horror music. And I also put out books and then I've got the podcast and I'm an audio engineer and I'm also a drummer. So there's all these different facets of what I do that make it very confusing for people. And I get that. But how to market that, how to promote yourself within that, it's it's kind of like you have to do everything in its own Almost like it's its own business. You know, the, the relaxation music is one business. The horror music is one business. The books are multiple businesses because they're different types of books. I've got the becoming an indie film compo- the becoming an indie film composer book out. I've got the, uh, two books on, on Vegas. And then I've got my first novel in the works. So everything, even within that is multiple tiers of different things that I do. So marketing, SEO, those things are very, very important in reaching a wider audience because I have my fans and I love you guys. Thank you for all the support. But you always want to expand and reach a bigger audience. You want to get into new territories, different countries, different, you know, groups of people that might enjoy the things that you create. So you're always, always pushing for more people to connect with. And it gets very, um, very challenging because how much time do you spend doing that versus creating content? Because if you don't have new content, now the fans that you have are kind of forgetting about you, but you're also not gaining new fans because you're not, you know, you're not spending the time doing that marketing and, and reach out to, to new areas. So it's really a juggle when you do all of that yourself. And a lot of artists, much like myself, really do. You know, we don't have the backing to have like a record company or a publisher behind us to uh, to take care of all of that for us. So we have that. We don't have publicists. We don't have agents. Uh, everything falls on our shoulders. So it's really a lot of balancing creativity, learning about different things in the business that you're in and learning about the marketing side and then doing the marketing and all of that. Uh, it's, it's really a, a struggle. And I have not yet myself found a happy medium with all of that. I get really excited about the creative. And then when I sit down to do it, I think, oh, I really need to write this newsletter or do this or do that. And then the creative gets pushed pushed aside. And it's not fulfilling me as a creative, which is obviously why I started doing this in the first place. So I, I'm still adjusting and finding ways to make things work. And Charlie is one of those people that you can go to to help you with that sort of thing. And he's a great guy, just an absolutely great, genuine honest, caring person. 
And I really find that sadly refreshing because I know a lot of great people. There are a lot of great friends that I have that I would trust my life with. But most people these days kind of have, especially in the entertainment industry, and maybe I'm a little bit jaded because that's the business I'm in, but it seems like most people tend to have an agenda of some point. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll do that for you. But like my page or yeah, I'll do that. Hey, my album's just coming out or can you share this or vote for me in this contest or what's even further spread to the general public now is give me your money for a funeral or a cause that I believe in, or, you know, people are always wanting to take money out of your pocket. And not that it's not genuine, because it is. They wouldn't do this if they didn't believe in whatever thing it was. And I think a lot of them are wonderful causes. Personally, I will not give to any organized charity. I won't because I know that most of the money does not go where you want it to go. And I understand they have operating costs and all that. But if I want somebody to be helped, I would rather help them directly if I can. Um, And of course, my funds are limited because I'm in the entertainment industry and it costs money to promote and put out projects and all those kind of things. I have to pay for the artwork. I have to pay for the distribution. I have to pay for the tools that I need to create the project. So, you know, it's, it's tough because I feel for these people, but at the same point, I can't give to all of the the many friends that I have as, as much as I might like to help them out. And there's some causes, obviously, that strike me a little more personally than other ones. So uh, it, it does get difficult. But the least you can do is, you know, spread the word, let people know uh, that your friends are out there doing cool things. I try to do that from time to time, especially with, you know, certain things that, that touch my heart a little bit more. Um And then, of course, you know, with the podcast, I can have some of them on the show if they like, uh, which is is also very important, like uh, the stuff that Ann Cabano is doing, who I spoke with last week, and I'm going to be having on more people like that uh, down the road. So uh, Charlie's here, though, to talk about those kind of things. But before we get to Charlie, something interesting uh, happened lately, and I pay very little attention. I don't watch the news. I, I really minimize how much social media I look at because I don't want those things influencing my art, which is the opposite of guys like Trey Parker and Matt Stone. When they're doing South Park, they go out of their way to make sure that the episode uh, is current with whatever's happening. And, and uh, I know that they've, they've you know rewritten episodes at the last minute because of things that have come up. And I respect that. But what I do is kind of the opposite. I don't want to know most of the things because I don't need to get upset about things that I can't do anything about. And it just... It, I My whole pr- purpose here and my whole focus is creating things. And I can't create things if I'm upset about other things that have nothing to do with me or or things that I can't affect change of directly. And I don't really like to spread that stuff around. I don't like when people share it with me, but that's the world we live in. So I really minimize what I what I see. But one thing that I did find interesting was apparently this documentary came out recently about Michael Jackson. And now radio stations are pulling his songs. Um, I find that really, really fascinating because I, I don't know if when Bill Cosby got accused of, uh, of all the, the charges, if they pulled the Cosby show off the air, I would imagine some places did. I honestly don't know. But what I want to know from you guys, and I really, I want you to write in to, to me about this and you can reach me at, at the email address, scott at scotthaskin.com. I want to know your thoughts on this one thing. 
I don't want to get into the whether he was guilty or not, because we'll never know the actual truth. Anybody can say anything after the fact. Some people could be getting money from the estate. Some people might actually be genuine and saying, yes, this did happen. I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Uh, now that he's gone, I can. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. What I want to know is, as a fan of an artist, can you separate their art from them as a person. Now, I've talked to friends about this and and people that, you know, let's say that uh, people that make the sounds that I use in my music, if I don't like the company, I tend to not get inspired to purchase from them or or use some stuff of theirs that I might have already had before I dislike them. Uh, I, I do find it a little bit difficult. But when it comes to the enjoyment of the actual art itself, are you guys able to separate that? Like, have you, are you not going to ever listen to Michael Jackson again? Because now this, this has come out where everything that had been rumored for a while now is, is believed to be true. Does that take away from the music itself? Or do you just not like the artist, but you'll continue to listen to them? You know, we have a, a Michael Jackson show here that Cirque du Soleil has over at Mandalay Bay. Uh, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with that now, but that that also may fall uh, just because of, of all of this, just like, you know, the radio station's not playing the music, then there's all the people that live off those royalties and the publishers and whatever that'll be affected, uh, any of the people that they employ, you know, it, it becomes so much bigger of a thing. But on the other side, I also understand it. If you're like, I can't listen to the guy who I know did these things. I'm just curious where you're at. So write into me. Let me know what your thoughts are. Are you going to continue to listen to his music? Are you going to shun him from your world because of these things that happened that are in the past that no one can change? Uh, if they're true, they're absolutely horrible. I don't care who does it. It's just wrong. If it's not true, then all this is really for nothing. Uh, so it's it's really hard to say. But I'm curious to know what you think. So write me in at scott at scotthaskin.com and let me know your thoughts. And uh, without pushing that any further, because I think I've talked about that enough. And uh, let's see what's going on. Well, my symphony just came out. Uh, it is available currently on SoundCloud. It is the fourth symphony that I've written, but was the first one that's really written that's actually playable by an orchestra. The other ones I wrote, uh, I'm planning on releasing those over the next few years, but they need to be reworked. Um, I wrote them on keyboard without thinking about accurate and realistic instrument ranges, and uh, there's a lot of parts that are kind of repetitive, and I want to upgrade them to uh, something that's a a little bit more intelligent, a little more heartfelt, and a little more realistic of uh, of what an orchestra can do. So, uh, but the fourth one is the one that is in that situation. So that is out on SoundCloud right now, and you can download it for free. You just go to my SoundCloud account, and uh, I believe it's under Scott K. Haskin, uh, and uh, you can uh, you can hopefully enjoy that. Uh, and so please check that out. And uh, without further ado, let's bring Charlie on. All right, and without further ado, let's bring Charlie onto the show. Charlie Allegain, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, man. It is so good to hear your voice after all these many years. I know it's been uh, so long, and I, I don't really think we we've talked to each other since high school. Seriously, like you know, um, yeah, it's, it's good to connect with old friends, and and uh, Facebook has been a a great connection for everybody 
in 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 our uh, in our class, you know. So um, it's nice to, to catch up with you again, man. Definitely, and you know, it's if you think back to those days, it, we would have never been able to predict that we would have. I mean, we didn't really have internet when we were graduating, so there's no way we could have forecasted these wonderful connection sites like uh, you know Instagram and Twitter and and Facebook. Oh, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah, back back when we graduated, well, when we were going to school, right? Um, I think we just had the Apple computers at the computer lab, mm-hmm. and we just—I don't—I don't know if we could write papers on that. I don't think we even—I don't think we did all this. I think I remember still writing everything with my hand when we turned in papers. I'm pretty sure we did, and I think uh, print shop was like the coolest thing around at the time. And uh, that was that little printing program that you could design, you know, a certain minimal amount of things and add color to them. But that was really the beginning of graphic design for for the public consumption. Wow, that's crazy, man. It is. I'm glad I saw the progression going from like Pong to these really cool games that they have out now. I mean, the stuff that Blizzard's doing is just amazing. And looking at, you know, being able to to stream movies and live events. And and it's just, it's been such a cool thing to watch it grow. Yeah, do you remember the the handheld gaming watch that we used to have? uh, Oh, yeah. Mm Do you remember that? So that was like our handheld games back then, right? Like in the 70s. Yeah. Late 70s. Mm -hmm. And then Pong, right? was like the first console. Right. Or um, that you attach it to the TV and stuff. It's crazy, man. It's like, yeah, you can watch movies now. and. Mm -hmm. And FaceTime somebody all across the world, man, that's crazy. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I I can do conferences with people in as many countries as I want at the same time and do it live. You know, you, yeah. you would be lucky if you could if you could be on the internet for twenty minutes without getting kicked off. Yeah. <laughs> or, or the worst is, uh, you know, in the beginning when we were doing the the dial up modems that you would be on and you'd be downloading something, and then someone else in the house would pick up the phone. And it would disconnect the computer. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like, damn it, what happened? I don't miss any of that one bit. (laughs) No, thank God for progress. One thing I have to say after, you know, the the time that I spent in school in Colorado is that I really did know some some truly wonderful people, yourself included, just genuinely good people. You know, no agenda, no using each other, just good people that cared about others and... You know, that that's really it feels like that doesn't exist that much anymore. Well, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this. Uh, I, I'm a very optimistic guy. Um, I'm sure we lived in different times, but um, I, I guess it's. Uh, I, I know when I live in Southern California, um, it's a different feel than it is in here in Colorado Springs in our hometown. but. Um, I, 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 I generally see people as good until something bad happens. And it's like, well, that you, you use me to get to whoever, right? You know, right. and I guess like LA is pretty bad when it comes to that. And oh, I, no. I, when I, <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Hey, wait, can I just sell, I smell some sa- sarcasm just like <laughs> coming out of your voice. Is that, yeah. is that what I smell? I'll, I'll, uh, the phone? You can send me the bill for the carpet cleaning after the show. <laughs> but yeah but colorado springs it's it's kind of a uh it really is kind of i mean at least when i lived there it was somewhat of a mellow town it wasn't so hustle bustle all the time it was 
you know, you, you would leave and you would go to work, but it wasn't like people on each other's tails all the time, especially with the weather conditions and all. Um, but it just seemed yeah. like a, a little bit more uh, slower, more peaceful time than than other places I've lived, including Vegas. Oh, I'm sure, man. Um, I, can't, I can't imagine what living in Las Vegas is like. I mean, you're downtown or? I'm uh, I'm just out. I'm in Henderson. I'm about uh, 18 minutes from the Strip. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's really close. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I, I walk down there quite frequently. It's the only time I get out of the chair and get any real exercise. But, uh, you know, the people watching is phenomenal. And, and of course, that's kind of the vacation area. So most people are either just, you know, inundated with the visual and audio that, that surrounds them. Oh, for sure. Or, uh, you know, alcohol induced or uh, now marijuana induced because that's legal here. Uh, it, yeah. It's definitely a different world from anywhere else. But outside of that road, it's pretty much a regular city. Just we just have more things that are twenty four hours to support the ecosystem that we have. Yeah, uh, which is great because if I, you know, if I want some sushi at three o'clock in the morning, it might not be the greatest or the freshest, but I can get it. <laughs> right, right. You have always been kind of around the entertainment industry with your brother being a guitarist in a band, and um, you uh, you've had that in your life. And you've done some acting. What kind of gravitated you to get into that? I don't know, man. Um, uh, I, I guess it might be my artistic side and how I learned how to speak American English was watching TVs, movies, and um, I just noticed when I came from the Philippines because I was born and raised there, I noticed how my accent was so different than everybody else's and it's you know it really sounded like i was fresh off the boat just like the tv show now which really funny they got a show about that now oh really but um uh it's like an asian sitcom show i don't know if you've seen it but uh-huh. um i think it's called fresh off the boat oh okay but and and uh so i really like listened to everybody's accent and how they said it so i had to like mold my 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 English into the way everybody else talks. So you're listening to my American accent right now, and 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 then when I get into the arts, um, my love for movies and it's like, oh god, it'd be so cool if I was in a movie or whatever, right? And I took some acting classes in theater, uh, TU, and and I I I did a movie, a couple of things in in uh, in. Southern California when I lived there in San Diego. Um, did a movie and all that sort of stuff. And then when I came back here, uh, I, I, I was actually 2012. Um, when the, the, the time I came back from California it was 2003. But in 2012, I decided, so I want to do something fun. I actually want to get into acting. And, and next thing you know, they had a audition for the, the Lone Ranger. I said, oh, either the audition for extras. It was literally that same time I decided, you know, and uh, I got in. I was like, <laughs> there's not very many Asians here, right? So they were looking for Chinese miners. So I, I, I get in, I got into one of the, the, the extras. I was like, yeah, that was like the best time of my life. Sweet. Got to see Johnny Depp, Army Hammer, and uh, Ruth Wilson. And... Um, that was like one of the best times of my life, man. So my my 
my name was Chinese and minor number 67. And when I went to Utah, <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? And then when I went to Utah, because uh, I wanted to do some more work, uh, they they had me over there, and I was Asian railroad worker number three. And I'm, and when I went to Utah, that that part I was in, and it made the trailer. So I was in the trailer for the Lone Ranger. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I was like, oh man, I was, oh nice, that was the best time. And then uh, after the after that shoot, um, they were looking for PAs, production assistants, to help out with the railroad teams to block off the road. So I stayed there for another week, and that was the best time, man. Oh, that was that was just awesome. So and then did a few stuff here and there. Did you make it into the movie? Um, my left arm did. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, they're canon, man. So let me let me take a look. So there is one suit where I wasn't even the shot. I was like way in the back. I'm coming out of the 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 river, and there's no way you could see me. Actually. And then it switches uh, switches off so they can have different characters when they shoot different scenes. Did you see the movie? I haven't seen it yet. No. So this is part the bad guy, um, played played by uh, Tavernish. I think that's his name, but maybe that's the bad guy's name. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was being shaved, and uh, there was a scene where I'm uh, supposed to walk towards the mining area, the silver mines, and Goldrabinsky was the director there. And usually it's the production instances that sets up the uh, the extras where we go and everything. But it was the business director, and he looks right at me after we did one one trial scene, right? And then he points at me, says, "You." I said, "Oh, it's me. I want you to go left instead of right this time." It's like, "Oh, sweet, I'll do that, sir." So I can say I got directed by Gore Brzezinski. Nice. If I ever win an Academy Award, it's like, "Hey, ever since Gore told me to go left, I never been right." <laughs> <laughs> That that I you know I love when people have those um those experiences though because they're they're things that you when you have opportunities like that you have to take them. Yeah. And when we first moved to Colorado Springs back in 88 it was sometime shortly after that they were filming Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade down near the Royal Gorge. And I was oh, yeah. uh, I was only 15 so I didn't have my license yet and I didn't really know anybody so I had no way to get down there. And I always yeah. regretted, I could have been a part of that experience. I mean, you got Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, great movie. Um, oh, yeah. So I always, that always kind of nodded me a little bit. And then when I saw a few years ago, uh, the ad that they were shooting Jason Bourne here in Vegas, and they were looking for extras, I thought, well, I kind of yeah. have to do it now, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you not? And uh, I, I was very lucky. I mean, I'm with 1500 extras. So unless you know exactly where to look, you won't see me. But uh, I made it into the trailer and I made it into the movie. And it's not it's awesome. It's a real surreal experience going into a theater and seeing your body on the screen when you're not. That's not really your world. And even if yeah. it is, you know, yeah. that is, it, it is pretty strange. When I went to see the movie and I saw my arm, I was like, what was that? It happened so close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just it just goes so fast, you know. Um, I only caught myself in the theater because my eyes just immediately went to where I was in the room. Yeah, um, right. You know, right. so I just I just happened to see my own movements. But 
uh, it, it was chaos with so many of us. And of course, there's, you know, gunshots going off. So we're all running for our lives and uh, just complete pandemonium take after take. But it sounds like you had a really good experience on that film. No, it was it was so much fun. I think the best part was also when I was a uh, production assistant because I was so um, I was absorbing everything. I was uh, I was checking out the whole production, making the film. Right, we're talking about a two hundred fifty million dollar film by Jerry Bruckheimer. I got to see him. He was like a couple feet away from me. I was, Dude, he is really small. Really. Uh, like he was like a hundred pounds. I was like, and he's shorter than me. I'm five four, man. Yeah, <laughs> so right. I was like, but he's he's real skinny. But uh, I mean, I didn't talk to him. I was like, oh, there's Jerry Bruckheimer. I was like crazy. But anyway, um, so I got to like watch how they they were working in the background while they're shooting, and that actually kind of helped me a little bit as uh, I guess a producer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, So much goes into that. And that's one of the reasons I like having different people on the show is because I want to really show people the the behind the scenes as much as what they see on screen, because without 10 hours of work, you don't get two minutes of film. Yes. Oh, yeah. So let me let me tell you behind the scenes story. Mm -hmm. I think this is really funny. Um, I think it's funny. I don't know if your audience members will think it's funny. They might. They uh, they had me. Uh, go to the craft area where they have the food and drinks and all that stuff. And they assigned me to tell the whole crew to be quiet while they were shooting the film. Oh, wow. So when, when the, the, when the director says rolling, I get a call on my headset rolling. I have to yell it out rolling and everybody has to shut up. Right. You know? So I'm in the drink area, and uh, the uh, the lead actress, Ruth Wilson, came up to me, and she's British. She goes, excuse me, do you have any vitamin water? I'm like, vitamin water? No, we have vitamin water. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what she was saying. <laughs> I guess that's what she was looking for. Oh, man. And... Uh, and so I got to, it's like, oh, thank God, I got to talk of major actress. I was like, this is cool, you know? So, um, but I didn't, I didn't know what he, I, I think what she meant was vitamin water, obviously, but. Right, yeah. Oh, but I was thinking to myself, what, what is vitamin water? <laughs> I thought I had a bad accent. And you know, especially because you worked hard um, to, uh, when you moved here to learn how to speak English, you know the challenge of accents. Yeah, and you know the English accent, the UK accent, so different than American. And uh, you talking about also like Scottish and uh, Irish accents? Oh my gosh, right? There's so much different. I uh, I was in a meeting recently, and uh, I, I was talking about whatever, and and I used the word uh, status, but I said it as status for some reason, and yeah. it was just eating away at me why I would have said it like that. And it was just very natural, just in the middle of the sentence, you know, and and I realized that I listened to so many uh, interviews and podcasts and things from with, by, uh, with people from Europe, and they have such a, a different way of pronouncing some of the words that it just that's something that got in my head. And I had been listening to a podcast earlier that day, and I think that's why I said it that way. But it's just so out of the blue. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you did you use uh, the Lone Ranger to get a SAG card? No, you need lines. 
and I, I forgot what the requirements are. Mm. I think um, it has to be a SAG film, and also you needed to be. Uh, it has to go through like an agent or something like that for you to get a part that has lines. Oh, okay. it has to be long enough for you to, to qualify, but then you have to pay the SAG fees. Right. And I don't know what it is, like $3,000 or something like that. I don't know. It's crazy. And, um, yeah. But then, you know, you can do side films right after you get that card, right? Or you can audition for those kind of stuff. And But it can be equally limiting because there there's films that you may not be able to do if you're a SAG actor. Right. It's, it's a really important choice whether to go that route or not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you have a good agent that has a good connection and your look and your acting have a market for it, mm-hmm. then yeah, I think we go to that far. I mean, that's what my acting coach kind of tells us. And um, yeah, with, for somebody who's not well known to, to get that break, and the chances for you to get in a, a, a role like that is one in a million, really. I mean, it's probably worse. Do you remember um, Short Round? The actor, uh, Johnson Kwan. Uh from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes, Ke- yeah. I guess he he, he went by Kwan, and I guess he just used an American name, Jonathan. I met him at the the Colorado Springs uh, Comic Con when he was down here. Oh, okay. And uh, I didn't have enough money for like an autograph and the pictures. Like, dude, I just I want to get your autograph and all that stuff. But I I can only get a picture with you, right? Like, oh, yeah, no problem. So we took a picture together. Then uh, he sat there for 15 minutes to talk to me. He was such the nicest guy. I didn't, I didn't think he would like, he was so interested. He said, what do you do, Charlie? So yeah, I'm, I'm a server at this restaurant, but I do acting on the side. You know, I actually wanted to pick your brain a little bit. And, um, you know, he's, he, he was a, such a big child actor. He did those, you know, big movies. And I don't remember him being in any other movie, but, uh, he gave me a lot of tips. He's like, just enjoy it, have fun, don't worry about making money. It's such a rare thing to be in a position as you know to make money as an actor, and you have to go to those places. That's the real reason you do anything in the arts industry because you have to do it because you love doing it. That has to be the primary driver behind everything. If you're just going into it for the money, yeah you're probably going to be very frustrated and discouraged and end up hating it. Yeah, I'm actually finding that out. It's true with business. Um, And if you're not enjoying your your Monday to Thursday and you have to celebrate, no, it's Friday, you have to kind of reevaluate what you're doing. So that's an excellent point. Yeah, I got that. I got that from Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you ever listened to him, but um, yeah, I haven't in a while. But uh, he's got a lot of great stuff out there. A lot of just really brilliant and things that that when you hear him, you think, "I knew that," but you never put it in that context. Yeah, he's he's uh he's a he's an owner operator of a business, so he doesn't just say these things for nothing, right? He runs a two hundred fifty million dollar Vayner Media company and. And he's, he's had a history of uh, building businesses and helping out his uh, father's liquor store. And, you know, he has a, a good track record and he doesn't sugarcoat, it, sugarcoat anything. 
And also, he doesn't provide value information to try to sell you near the end. Like, oh, I got a $5,000 course you can buy. Yeah. Um, he, he does it without expectations. And when he does a, uh, a sales pitch, he doesn't really expect people to buy from him, which is, I think, the coolest thing ever. I, I, it makes me want to buy something from him if it all... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you, know, I you see these things on the internet all the time where you can be a voiceover artist or you can be uh, a writer and work from home and make all this money. And, you know, I, I actually took one of the uh, uh, voiceover ones because I wanted yeah. to see what it was really all about. Like, what is it that they're trying to sell you? How does this really work? And the thing is, is they, they paint such a rosy picture of how easy yes. it is, how inexpensive the equipment is. You just go and, oh, if you sign up for this site, then there's all these things and you just audition. And then the the ones that like you will pick you. And the fact is, they don't tell you that the sites cost a lot of money to sign up for. They don't tell you how much competition that you have to try and get those jobs. It's not just you and two other, you know, two housewives sitting around trying to, to be a voice artist. It's hundreds of people auditioning for those roles. Yes. And yeah, absolutely. It, it man. Just paint such a beautiful picture, but the reality of it is, they never really—they're never going to tell you that because they want you to pay for the course. Yeah. So I I can really respect somebody like Gary, who's just you know he just he spends his time giving to people, giving them tips, giving them advice, um, without the okay. If you want, if you really want to know the good stuff, then sign up for this for twenty five hundred dollars, and I'll you know I'll tell you a little to lead you into the next course, which is five thousand dollars. Yeah, no, he doesn't do that at all. No, he's, everything, even his marketing ideas, like his um, social media content card, his uh, Facebook advertising strategy, his Instagram growth strategy, it's all for free, man. You can look it up and then it's, he uses it for his company, for his clients, and he gives it out for free. I was like, dude, that's, <laughs> that's so much tremendous value. Uh, I bought his book. Um, crush it. And actually, at first, I didn't read that book. I read his newest one, Crushing It, which is a following, uh, follow up book to that. And also, Jab, Jab, Right Hook is a really good one. And, uh, it's like, dude, those books are, are really, really good. He talked about how he used, um, social media to grow his audience. Mm-hmm. And, and then on, the the follow up book crushing it from crush it i think crush it was 2006 uh 2009 sorry and when the new one came out it talked about people who used or read that book and actually made money doing what they love it was like the craziest thing some lady was making money sewing showing people how to make cheap versions of the fashion uh top fashion ideas of that of that month and um one guy was something about his vegan diet and all that stuff and being a triathlete. I was like, he's just people making money using social media and doing what they love. I was like, dude, I want to do that with film. <laughs> right. So so that's what I've been doing. I shot one I wrote and directed one movie uh last year. It was fun. It was just like a five, six minute 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 movie. And uh, I wanted to do another one, but I, I was trying to get my business up and running. I do, uh, you know, uh, SEO, um, search engine optimization, web design, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And and I've got some some questions for you about that. 
but before oh, we yeah, get to that, right. did you um, did the film come out in a way that made you happy, like for the way that you envisioned it when you were writing it? Oh yeah, um, it, it was just more of the um, the execution and to get it out there. What I learned from Gary is like get the content out as fast as you can. The more the better. Better, you know. With film, you're gonna have some kind of quality, but it's just really the process of like writing, directing it, shooting it, editing it, and then putting it out there so you can get feedback from the audience right away to see what they like, and then you can, you know, make uh, make another one. Um, Eventually, I want to do at least one a week with the second one with the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of using the model that um, Rocket Jump used, and I don't know if you're familiar with that YouTube channel. It was uh, Freddie Wong. Freddie Wong and and Brandon, there's a team of guys back in, uh, I think it was like 10 years ago. They were were doing these really cool videos. That's awesome. Yeah, they were just, they, they, they like got, they got like a million uh, viewers, uh, subscribers to their YouTube channel in six months. Wow. They started off with like, uh, Guitar Hero and they would do like, uh, Adobe After Effects to make this really cool videos with the live action and the, the graphics. But they, they weren't really getting any traction. They weren't getting the, at that time, when you get, when you become a partner, you were getting some like money from the viewership. Right. Yeah. And, um, I think they still do, but it's not as good as it was before. But then when they, they, they start doing, doing, uh, these first person shooters in, in video form and, uh, they started gaining more traction. They were getting like a million views per video. It's like, and they were making bucks, man. <laughs> and, and eventually when the YouTube money started going down, you know, it wasn't as good as before. They took their, uh, ideas, um, with their kind of like their genre with their videos and they made uh they, they started a Kickstarter um campaign. They did their own web series called uh Video Game High School. I was like, man, that's really cool. And they they raised like a half a million dollars and from all their subscribers and and they're just like they're also independent. They're like the con this is what I like. It's like you're taking the the content that you produce and you're going straight to your consumer instead of having to do with like, I had to deal with this, with this Tsunami movie. We can talk about more about that, but it's like, you know, with regular avenues, you make a movie, you spend whatever amount of money and then you go to like an agent and an attorneys and then they found, they find a rep to sell it and they sell it to the company. So everybody in the middle gets all the cut and then you get whatever. Right. Right. So, um, so the way Rocket Jump did it is they went, this just, they had such a huge audience. They just went straight to their consumer. And the next three episodes, three seasons, they, they did the, um, Kickstarter and, um, GoFundMe or whatever their, their campaign was. They were just making like 500, 750,000 and then pay their cast, pay themselves and go direct to their audience. I, I was like, man, that's what I want to do. That'd be so awesome to do that. Yeah. And, and I wonder how much over the next couple of years, things are really going to change as there's more and more push for online streaming versus the, theatrical releases and 
you know, as Netflix is gearing up, um, uh, Amazon is is making their own movies, and uh, I I just have yeah. to wonder how much that that whole model is going to be different in say five years from now. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I, I can't predict the future, but uh, the way things are now, um, there's like fifteen hundred movies are produced every year, and only a handful, maybe three or four of them will make money at the film festivals. They'll get picked up by somebody and if it's good enough, right? But, um, and there's always going to be a need for the big studios to make movies for the theater. I, I think that's just never going to away. The experience of going to a movie is just never going to be the same. Right. As streaming on download from your, from your screen, even if you have a big screen at home, right? <laughs> Yeah. You know, it could change. I don't know. But um, I think it's happening in the music industry right now. Mm-hmm. And Gary Vee always talks about it. Uh, some artists are really uh, picking up on it where they produce the content instead of having to go through these uh, avenues and board members and approval. You have the connection. You just go to SoundCloud and put your stuff there and if you got an audience maybe just sell it right directly to your to your audience it'd be so cool for exactly i mean i i i don't i don't have to negotiate rates or anything to upload to say cd baby who's going to distribute it to itunes and amazon and spotify and you know a hundred other places that i can pick and choose you know uh, upon my approval who they send it to yeah uh that's that's yeah. nothing of course but but uh a movie and you you've got whether you have people that donated or people that invested, you've got all these people that worked on it and you really want to do the best you can for them. But that's where it gets tough. As a musician, I could write a song and release it in, you know, say 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever. With a film, you're talking weeks to months of work for it to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And you know, when I shot my movie last year, I shot it on my phone and I just used iMovie to edit it. So I, I had a couple of people that, that complimented me on how well I shot it. It's like, well, it's just the filter that I used on my phone. And then I just use iMovie. And they're like, really? Yeah. I think it's more about the execution rather than for the movies, that is. You know, I'm right. sure it's a little bit different with um, with music and stuff. But then, you know, if I'm just trying to garner viewers and subscribers and I'm consistent with my content, eventually, hopefully, uh, I want to get to that point where have such a big enough audience that's do a Kickstarter campaign. Um, what's the other one? There's, there's another Kickstarter. What's the other crowdfunding? There's GoFundMe. Um, I think there's another one too. But the the real trick to making these work, and this really kind of uh, brings us into the SEO work that you do, is that you can, you know, I could start a GoFundMe, but if I don't really have an audience it doesn't matter what I'm offering because no one's going to go there and happen by it, or maybe a small amount of people will, but, but everything oh, yeah. these days, it's about having a following and then driving traffic to whatever it is that you're doing. And I've seen Facebook stifle some of those programs for, for authors who were using programs like Thunderclap and day cause that, that would generate that traffic to people that didn't know who you were. And Facebook kind of shut that down. Um, it, it, so, you know, your fan bases are getting smaller and smaller because it's harder to reach out to them. But but keywords, um, hashtags, 
and SEO really seem to be the important key elements these days. What would you, where would you tell somebody to go about beginning in SEO? I mean, obviously come to you and work with you on it, but give them kind of an understanding of what it is and why it's important. Yeah. Um, great question. Um, I guess when it comes to the art, the way we're, the topic we're talking about, building an audience, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk style is definitely a way to go. Um, there's a way to, to, to build an audience in YouTube. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and all those, and and it's going to take work to to build an audience. It's a little bit different than it is when it comes to SEO for business, because there's still a good amount of traffic on Google for businesses to rank on the first page, at least the top three positions on the uh, organic search engines. It's a little bit. I think it's two different things, and um. The attention is cheaper when it comes to uh, the social media stuff for your art, for the arts rather rather than doing it for a business like like say a law firm or plastic surgery um, practice uh, whatever it's, it's you know it's, it's a different thing because people don't type in um, searches for films so when you do something cool on on YouTube. And you make one minute videos for Instagram or maybe Instagram stories. And then you build a five, 10, 50,000 followers over a three to five, you know, year time. Then you can, you can, then you can sell your, your audience because they like your stuff, right? So it's, it's different than typing in something on Google search to like, Hey, we're trying to buzz fund this, this film. I think that's a little bit harder. And I and I did try to use Facebook. That's how I got an SEO. <laughs> I was trying to <clears throat> I was trying to drive um, traffic from Facebook to help fund uh, sell tsunami to people. Now, now just to interject and, uh, and 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 tell everyone real quick. So, tsunami is a movie that you were involved with the production. You were also in it as an actor. Uh, and, and, uh, I do have a yeah. couple of questions for you that we'll get to later about that movie, but just to kind of give people an idea of what it is that you're talking about. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get that to, to you later. Uh, um, thanks for, for bringing that up. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this, um, that's, that's how I got into SEO because I want to learn how to do internet marketing and, uh, realizing there was actually a business that I can get into. Uh, studied a course uh, found online and uh, these guys were making huge bucks as I go yeah yeah <laughs> so I studied that for three years um, and uh, while I was working full-time at the restaurant I would just go home study SEO and then uh, last year I just went full-time so so you weren't uh, you weren't taking classes anywhere you were really just digging in yourself and putting in motivating yourself with all your own efforts no, no, I did take a course online. Um, oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, the uh, the group I, I took the course with was uh, OMG uh, Machines. And um, OMG stood for one-man gang, so you can actually be your own agency. You, you don't need to build a brick-and-mortar company. to You do everything at home and, um, and service clients and stuff like that. So, 
but yeah, I, I did take the course. Uh, pretty pricey, <laughs> but yeah, it is well worth it. I mean, uh, it's such a great skill to have, and um, and it's nice because in this day and age, with with you know, like we were talking about the differences between our childhood and, and the internet and things, um, you can work in your position with anyone in the world from your home. Oh yeah, oh definitely. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm even doing a collaboration with a for a website with a friend of mine in Thailand. You know, so we just have to like work in our time zone. Yeah, it's like morning right now to them in Thailand, and it's close to night. You know, um, and then uh, we just get on the Microsoft team. We we chat. We talk about the project, and it's crazy. You just do business with anybody anywhere in the world nowadays. Yeah, you never have, you never have done that. Right. In 1990. Right. I mean, I've collaborated with people in Europe and people in, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember what other countries I've worked in, but it's really amazing to be able to do that now. Um, Ah, Is so when I when I see the letters SEO, the first thing that comes to my mind and and I want you to correct me if my perception of this is wrong. But I think okay. SEO, I think of all those keywords that you hide embedded in your website that you don't, people don't see visually, but it attracts them to that search engine. It could be content on your, uh, on your website. It could be title, description. Um, it is embedded in some of the codes, what they call um, meta tags, right? Keywords that's in your uh HTML or WordPress site that's in there. Some some WordPress sites now upload all those keywords for you, so you don't have to like code it yourself. If you hire a web designer, I mean, you don't have to. You know, you figure out what industry you're in, what category you are in your business, and and when you produce the content, most WordPress sites are so easy nowadays. You just kind of like um, plug and play, and they just put it in, and then like. Like Yoast SEO is a good plugin for a web WordPress site, and sometimes it does the SEO for you, uh, the off-page stuff, right? But I do off-page mostly, and I uh, I specialize in ranking keywords uh, for uh, people's businesses right. so they can get that traffic. Yeah, that's that's the most vital part, right? And, and it's not something that you can just set up once. It's something that you have to monitor and alter as things change and grow and we have new keywords or you your business modifies a little bit. How often would you say people should review that? Oh, man. Um, well, uh, what I normally do is I sit down with the client for the first month or two and we actually do a lot of keyword research and plan out which uh, ones we should go after first so they can get some good traffic from that. Right. And from the number one positions I was able to get from one of my clients, uh, some of my clients, I mean, um, even if it doesn't have a lot of traffic volume, they still got, I have somebody here locally, he had a nationally ranked keyword, it was for a local gym, but then it was a specific machine and he got a client out of that. (laughs) Somebody called him, I was like, yeah, as I looked up this keyword, and you're in the number three position, I, and, and you're in town. And then he and he came in and tried his machines, and he loved it. And he became a client. I was like, "Well, that's cool." Yeah, so stuff like that happens, right? So I, right. It could be reviewed uh, on a monthly basis mm-hmm. um, when I when, when I work with clients. Uh, so the initial first two months, but then you know, I always monitor and see how the ROI is. Is uh, turning for them once they ranking on first page or the for, for top three, 
for those keywords. So pretty awesome. The challenge that I had when I first started um, getting into, you know, promoting myself on the internet was I, I didn't realize until I, I Googled myself for the first time that there was a basketball player that played for, I think it was the Pacers, whose name is Scott Haskin. What? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So you get, you know, it's not just that he has maybe his own website or he's on the team's website. It's every statistician's website, every, you know, scheduling website. I mean, the guy's everywhere just because he's, you know, he, he just appears in so many spots. So I, yeah. my goal at the time was just to beat how many sites I was on. And I actually got uh, above him. It took me about a year. Uh, just by you know trying to be everywhere, but I didn't know about keywords at the time. I did; it was not even on my radar. That's crazy. So I just masked, uh, annoyed everyone with my presence until <laughs> until I got ahead of them. Yeah, if you have a name that's associated with uh, with a famous person, man, um, that's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. I'm sure you know. Yeah. But anyway, what were you asking me? Uh, do you do you find it difficult with your clients? We were talking earlier about how you know we we really don't need to have the patience that we did when we were kids because pictures come up instantly. You can watch a movie. You could just stream it from your home. You don't have to go to the theater or wait for it to come on on HBO anymore. Do you find yeah. it, do your clients find it uh, challenging to not just have something that could be done in a day? Well, I guess you have to kind of, I have to frame it to them that not any Joe Schmo just come, just join, build a business build a website and next day you're ranking number one, right? It doesn't happen that way. Um, and you have to work with Google's algorithms on the trust, the authority of your website. And um, pretty much the way Google works is like how we, how we foresee like popularity contests. Yeah. If if you're more associated with popular people, you tend to be higher in the uh, popularity for yourself, right? So it's this law of association when it comes to that. Yeah. And um, it's it, yeah, you kind of have to frame it to the to the to people how how much it how long it takes. If it's a very competitive niche, like real estate or uh, mortgage industry or something like that, man, that's that's going to be that's going to be tough. Usually takes about six to okay, yeah. If it's really competitive, man, um, nine to nine to twelve months, man, and and you can we can do some stuff before then to to start seeing some ROI. Six months is the average, what I tell people. And I think that's the problem right now. Is as much as it's an advantage because things are, uh, you know, so we have so many great tools at our fingertips now. But the problem is because we have so many tools and they're easy to use, the, every market is just flooded with so much of it that it's hard to rise or really not rise, but just cut through it to even be heard. Yeah. Do you uh, do you find that the strategies are different going from one social media platform to another? Like, is it is it one strategy on Facebook, maybe a different strategy on Instagram and a different strategy on Twitter? As far as advertising, or you mean just um, yeah, just just in, just kind of getting getting your followings. You know, um, to be honest, I've only gotten involved with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and start following what he was talking about recently in the last six months. 
because I've been out so heavily to just focusing uh, SEO. Right. And SEO is different than the way he talks about building his audiences for Facebook, Instagram, or all the other web point to point oh, uh, platforms. Gotcha. And um, because you can totally do every, a lot of things for free on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. Sure. And um, the cheapest ones you can invest in right now is Facebook ads and Facebook ads and Instagram ads. Um, just because the big dogs are still on the TV and the radio. Yeah. So they haven't really caught on with Facebook yet. So there's going to be a time when all of that will go away. <laughs> right. Uh, right now, I think, I don't know what the timeline is. What's the cheapest to pay for ads is uh, Facebook ads and Instagram. But then there's a whole strategy to it. Just can't put a Facebook ad and expect to, you know, oh, I spent a thousand dollars on uh, Facebook ads and I didn't get anywhere. I said, well, you got to strategize your content a little bit more. You can't, you can't just, you know, spam, you know, and the commercials that you make from, uh, TV, radio, or, or the other traditional media like newspaper, it's so different when you do Facebook ads or Instagram ads because you can just make the content and, uh, and it could be unrelated to your business and people love that. But then you, 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 you get a good engagement with that. People liking, commenting, and subscribing to your product, well, following you, Instagram. Then you can run an ad based on that, right? Right. And, and and possibly you can you can make business out of that. I have people actually inquiry me um, on Facebook and Instagram just based on the stuff that I've been posting my my workouts, my um, films, film the movies that I've been in, and, and whatever I'm doing. Uh, I would hashtag photography on my uh, Instagram post. So I had like three or four people just like, hey, oh. I like your post. I saw that you do SEO. We have to talk sometime, right? Right. And uh, I almost closed one client just because of that. And that's so weird because I didn't really, I, I didn't really like advertise SEO. I was just doing my thing. This is just what we we're talking about earlier. You got to do what you love, and then you can. This is where you can write, write jab. I'm sorry, not write jab. Right hook. Mm-hmm. You're doing your left hook with the stuff that you like, and then you're gonna send a right hook to uh, ask for specific sale. Right. When you when you get that kind of uh, engagement. Well, and that was something that I'd heard about blogs a long time ago, too, was that, you know, do your blogs about things that will drive people to your blog, things that they will yeah. be interested in, but don't sell them there. Just have your information, you know, like uh, I, I use Blogspot and, and, you know, all my information is on the right side of the screen the whole time, no matter how long the blog is. So they said, you know, don't, don't try to sell them in the blog. Don't say, go to my website, do this or do that. They're interested in your content. Like maybe I write about a Vegas show, for example, and then over to the right, there's my information. If they're interested in me, they'll click on it. I don't need to sell them. It's there. Yeah. So it's that kind of that balance of, of driving people in with maybe something that, that doesn't relate to you, but that's how they find you and in people that you know, are interested in like your workout videos, which are really cool, by the way, they're really inspiring. Um, I love like every okay. time I'm like, he's not gonna be able to do it. He's not he did it. <laughs> you know, I and I'm rooting for you. But I'm like, that's too much. He went too far. And every time you nail it. And I don't know how you do it. But I kind of feel like you could throw Lou Ferrigno around. 
<laughs> no way. No, I've seen the guy. He's huge. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Hey, I probably could do it in the movies with like CGI. Right. That's about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, well, see, at least you can do it. Uh, now, maybe you could tell me where I went wrong because I did uh, when I first did my uh, New Age Christmas album four years ago or three or whatever it was. Uh, I did. Yeah. I thought I'd try a Facebook ad, and I did the ad to where uh, I just set like a, a thirty or forty dollar limit on the ad. And then right. when it reaches that, it just stops uh, appearing. And I had, I think it was 800 and some people uh, liked the post. And I got almost no sales out of it. So, right. you know, you're, you're, it costs you when people like it. But if it doesn't drive traffic to Amazon or iTunes or wherever you're directing them for your product, it, it, conversion is a whole nother strategy on top of that, right? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Because you got to know your audience, right? Who who are you trying to uh, target in your demographics um, when you run the the ads? You know, and I I tested a few uh, ads myself um, for certain products. Like I saw some um, like AliExpress. I don't know if you heard of those sites, like really cheap Chinese like products you can buy and then try to resell it you know oh yeah like uh yeah i bought some stuff through uh alibaba or not alibaba um it was one of those yeah yeah aliexpress alibaba it's one of those things right and i just tried it it was a program that i bought it's like you see what your engagement is first as far as the um people liking it and then if he it goes below 10 cents per click or like then you want you go from engagements to um, actual like trying to go for sale right after that right you you're sending the ads to uh, for somebody that put in a shopping cart or whatever right, right. somebody for somebody to buy but then I I just I got stuck in that point too <laughs> yeah so um, I I think it's the that's why I'm I'm kind of uh, and I didn't really have an audience to begin with for those. Facebook pages that I built for the specific products. If I think this was true like two years ago, where you would see product ads and uh, they would get like ten thousand likes, you would get about uh, you know maybe several hundred sales out of that. But they, if you look at their Facebook page, they've been working the the engagement and the uh, likes on that page long before they started selling. And, and it's the same with uh, promoting your music. You just put stuff out there. And and um, <clears throat> have you ever heard of that $1.80 technique for building your audience on Instagram, Twitter, or uh, Facebook? I have not. So uh, your audience can look this up as well. Uh, it's the um, $1.80 strategy by Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, let's let's take Instagram for instance, and um, you look up a, a hashtag on your search, and let's say look up music, and uh, there's a bunch of posts that people uh, will pull up. From that one hashtag, you go to the top uh, post that has the most engagement. You want to like, and you want to comment something thoughtful, not just spammy. You know, you got to be also be careful from 
coming from a guy to a girl, like you want to be, you want to be creepy, right? Yeah, but you want to say something like, "Oh, this is really cool music. Uh, I love, I love your style." Comment, and you leave your two cents. Yeah, your thoughts, and you do that nine, uh, ten times for that hashtag, and then you find eight other hashtags and do it ten times, and after ninety times, that's two cents each that you leave a comment and like. Uh, that's a dollar eighty total, and you're not actually paying, but you, that's right. the the concept. Oh, that's interesting. And um, and you do that every day. You do that with Twitter. Uh, you do that with Instagram. You do that with uh, the hashtag function. And it's okay in Facebook, but you know you, you can still find them because a lot of it's not as good as Instagram. Yeah. But Twitter is good as well. Instagram seems to be really hashtag driven, where Facebook. I, I've never really used hashtags that much on Facebook. It seems more of a Twitter and an Instagram thing to me. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the organic reach with um, Twitter and Instagram is so much better. On um, I, You can't even really do it with like YouTube. Like when you see some people push the tags on their YouTube videos, people really won't find it. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, it doesn't... It, it, it's... Um, it's not as good as Instagram or Twitter. And Twitter is really good with, with your city. You even go find people in your city and if you want to do like local business. Um, now this is, you know, I'm still like working, working up to that level. I do the dollar uh, 80 with my Instagram and because I had a private person and I went public now, you know, I built like 300 people in the last like six months. So, um, uh, I'm still learning. I'm still applying. But that's, that's, I think that's the best way to, to go about it for free. Right. And it's a long game. Very long game. Very huge. Yeah. A lot of effort, a lot of time involved. Um, but while you're doing that, you, you like for me, whenever I'm doing marketing or even like backing up my files or whatever, I have two monitors in the studio. So on one monitor, I'll put on uh, like an educational thing about either marketing or, or something with music. Uh, and then on the other one, I'm doing my work. So even if I'm not watching it, all that still, I'm utilizing as much of that time as I can to soak in information so that I can improve something in my process somewhere. Yeah. Now, you do website building as well. And I want to ask you, I mean, obviously, the graphical content, getting something to pop visually so that people will go from just perusing websites to actually engaging or reading the material that you have if they see, you know, something that you've put on Facebook or, or Instagram and they click on your website, you've really got to get people to engage because it's just too easy to click on it, go, eh, and then click off. Yeah. The the design of your website has to be um, engaging, easy to navigate. Um, it really goes with Google's algorithm because they also measure how much time people spend on your website and how much time they spend on each page. Right. And you can see that in your Google Analytics if you attach Google Analytics to your... I'm looking at your website right now, for example, too, uh, Scott. Oh, cool. <laughs> I looked you up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, here's his website. You're in the bottom of that basketball player. Yeah. <laughs> I should have put yeah. a picture of him on my website, but then I'd have to contact him to get the rights to do it. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But but that's the thing. Now, how how important is a mailing list these days to, to maintain a mailing list and put out, say, your own newsletter uh, versus really just spending all your time doing 
the other social media sites. Is that still important in this day and age? I, I think it's, it's wherever there's audience, that's where you should pull your time and effort in. Um, you know, when when I do my regular SEO work, and I you know I'm trying to do all this other marketing stuff and putting content with my social media. Yeah, you just got to put in the time wherever there's an audience. That's where you should put content. I think the the Gary V content card. Uh, it's a good place to uh, learn how to manage all those fights. The Gary V content card really starts up with a long form video of a topic that you want to talk about. Let's say that I want to talk about what I'm doing with my uh, health and my athletic goals for this year, right? So I'll do like a 30-minute uh, video on that. Um, and then you can splice those, uh, some pieces of that video for Facebook, for Instagram, Pinterest, um, a blog network, like Blogger, Behance. I mean, whatever you can split all those, uh, that one, coming from that one video, you want to like start splicing it for all the different content. And, and then, um, and you just kind of like recycle the, the process over. More importantly, you listen to what your audience like and comment, engage with them. And when they comment something, say, Hey, I didn't, I quite understand what you mean by, um, this part in your video, then you can make that your your next content for next time because you're addressing what people are engaging with your content to begin with, right? Yeah. So now, so then the next video say, hey, you know, I had a lot of people content uh, comment about what my uh, reps and sets are, what exercises I do. So this is the next video, and then you wait for the comments to come in, and then you keep going, right? So you're really so, pleasing your audience by giving them what they're asking for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then if I do SEO, say, hey, it worked in a while. It's like, hey, if, if, uh, thanks for looking at my content. I don't want to add, you know, if, if anybody you know is looking to rank uh, on the first page of Google, hit me up. I do search engine optimization, and you do that every three months or whatever your right hook is, right? So right. Yeah. your audience I want to hear, and then based on what you like, and then try to hit them with sales with a sales uh, action. And it won't feel like you're selling them if you only do it once in a while, right? They're not going to feel like, oh, every time I watch one of Charlie's videos, yeah, the workout's cool, but then every time he tries to, you know, hit me up for something, that gets old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why you got to do it like every once in a blue moon, right? So. Yeah. And if you're going for a long game, a huge macro game, the long-term uh, benefits, you do it less. Right, but there's nothing wrong with cold calling and and being upfront with people. It's like, hey, I can do your website for five hundred dollars. You just need to upgrade to a WordPress site so that your nineteen ninety five website will actually be mobile friendly. <laughs> you know right? I mean? Yeah, and that's so important too because so many people. I think people probably spend more time on their phones now than personal computers. At least I would think so. Yeah, since two thousand sixteen. The algorithm has given more favor to mobile because uh, more more people are using their smartphones to um, find content, to shop, to to do business on their phones so much faster now. And not everybody, uh, and most people have a, a phone now. They have access to the internet. It's crazy. That's, yeah, 
Yeah, Imagine I mean, we were talking about technology earlier. It's like 10 years is such a big difference where we were, right? Yeah. It's crazy. When I was going to, uh, I, I spent a short time at Colorado College uh, going to learn uh, C++ programming. And oh, yeah. I couldn't really afford it. So I was working, you know, I had a full load of classes and I was working day and night and I just crashed at one point. It, I just couldn't keep up that pace. But uh, one thing that that I thought was really interesting, looking back at the technology then, I had an 8086 computer and it had an orange phosphorus monitor. Oh, wow. And I'm thinking I actually wrote programs on that. I did, you know, my my circuitry and stuff on a program on that. And, you know, floppy disks, like the, the big five and a half inch ones that were the. Yeah, you're right. right. And, I, and I think about how far we've come to, to now where, you know, I've got, what, 5,100 followers on Twitter and it, it's just crazy. But I'm not I'm not a big guy when it comes to paying attention to the number of followers unless it hits a milestone like that 5,000 shelf with Twitter. But. Do you think that there's a lot of confusion out there focusing on the number of likes or the number of followers on your Facebook page versus the importance of whether they're the number of people that engage versus the number of people that have liked it? This is coming from more of Gary Vaynerchuk, and I and I do uh, I do agree with his assessment. Um, I do have more followers on Twitter than I do just because I don't, I haven't really used Twitter and I just started using it again the last, uh, last month. You should concentrate more on being true to yourself and not worry about the metrics of followers, likes, and comments. Right. And on the, on the other side of that, well, I guess it wouldn't be the other side, but if you do get an engagement on your small following, don't be too big to not like and comment, right? Like I get a few comments on my Instagram. I love it when uh, this person I never met always comments on all of my posts. Like, Linda, you're awesome. I love you. You're always following me. And I, I, I always reply back, thank you very much for your support. And, you know, if I get, and usually she comments and nobody else does. And, and eventually when people see that, then you care about what could, what the what your audience thinks, right? Yeah, I thought this guy's awesome. You know, like, and that's you know, I'm pretty much following what the guy who's done it, who's doing it, Gary Vaynerchuk is uh, really advising. I was like, sure. he he does what he he tells people to do. <laughs> yeah, and and I I do that. I try to engage everybody in every every comment that I get if I'm aware of it. Uh, Sometimes they get lost in the post and you don't know that there was a comment. And then you look and you scroll through and you're like, oh, I I wish I would have known, you know. But the only time that I don't is, you know, especially on Instagram, I get this uh, where if I've if I've had like a a model or somebody on the show who might be particularly attractive and then guys will comment, you know, kind of not really rude stuff, but just kind of like, oh, my God, you're so hot. And I'm like, that is not what they talked about on the show. It's, you know, that's not what they came on for. Um, Because in in a way, I think that could be found to be disrespectful because it's, you know, uh, especially nowadays. So I really don't engage those kind of comments, but everything else I really try to. The one that gets me is uh, I've got a group of, of models here in Vegas that follow me called the Army of Hotness. And yeah. 
I don't know why, but they like every time that they like one of my posts, I just get giddy with it because it's not it's just so fun. You know, that's like a whole army of people liking your post in one click. So I always appreciate <laughs> that for some reason. I just, you know, one of my little things that gets me through. Hell that. yeah, I would too, man. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I always try to engage and I've, I've had people write me go, I, I hope it's okay that, that I'm, I'm writing you. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, you know, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's get to know each other a little bit. And uh, when yeah. you make those kind of connections, you know that they're genuine. That's why I don't care about the numbers because if I had 5,000 followers on Instagram and only two of them cared, I only care about those two. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, very cool. I, I really like, uh, I, I like the idea of this because I think it's something that's so important that because it's, it can be such a boring thing to think about or something that's just too immense to try and wrap your head around. It's important to go to somebody like you who's studying it, who has mentors, who's looking at proven results and can get you there. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, that's so vital. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Be the artist and let somebody else do those things for you so that you don't have to worry about it and you can just work on quality content. Absolutely. And I do outsource some of the things on the, for my SEO business. So instead of me doing it, it's so much more cost effective for me to hire somebody and then they tell they'll take care of that rather than me doing everything. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So artists artists should, should definitely sit, you know, collab with somebody, hire an SEO agency. If it's appropriate, right? Yeah. You know, I, I never really thought about working with artists, uh, that's actually might be a good niche. But, you know, um that's uh that's a really good point as far as like if you can't do it yourself, you can't put the sweat equity in, and you have a little bit of money, um, man, you know, just hire somebody doing it, and you'll scale so much faster to where you want to go to, right. rather than like running on this dribble uh, wheel. Right, exactly. And I mean, I don't, I pay someone to do my taxes because I know that they know how to do it better than I can, especially with the right. business and royalties from all different directions and whatever. Um, I hire a graphic artist, Kelly, to do my artwork because I know she can do it much better than I can. And, you know, I hire Rebecca Poole to do my lettering because, again, she can do it much better than I can. You hire professionals to do those things so that you can spend more time doing the part that you enjoy. And, right, absolutely. And they can get you further than you could by yourself because that's their niche. That's what they do. So I think it's yeah. I think it's vital to work with somebody that that just knows what the hell they're doing because I don't. I've tried and I don't. Yeah, I hear you, man. Well, before we wrap up, and and I really appreciate you coming on the show. This is actually was was very uh, uh, just short notice because we just contacted each other today and said, well, let's just I know, do it right? tonight. <laughs> you know yeah yeah uh, thank you for having me on man oh, definitely. Uh, i really appreciate on. it it was good yeah. fun and uh but let's let's talk a little bit before we wrap up about the movies that you did so tsunami was a really really intense concept and obviously you know when you're doing an insect oriented movie you're working with a lot of graphic components when you were shooting the movie as as the actor that's in it what was it like to try and work with all these insects that were not there? So I got to give huge props to the writer and director of this movie, Milko Davis. Uh, he's an awesome artist. And um, he, he kind of had a plan for us to uh, react what things are. And it's 
you know, everything's CG, so we have to kind of pretend. It's not as good to having a, a prop or something physical that you can react with as an actor. I think that's my opinion. I think I, I think I heard several of the people when they, I think it's similar when actors from like um, Jurassic Park had that huge Tyrannosaurus Rex to act to act with rather than like a CG. Right. I mean, there's a little bit of CG to that as well, but they really made that. I think Stan Winston did build a huge T-Rex, right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, incredible, too. Yeah, oh God, it was crazy. And, you know, actors got to see, oh, my gosh, and when this thing is coming after you, that's easier to act with than, like, trying to imagine. Well, plus your your eyes are all looking in the same spot. You're, it, the continuity also makes a difference there. But with insects, and you've got thousands of them, I mean, there's so many, and they're they're moving quickly. I would imagine bees would be probably one of the most difficult things to create that. But you guys really did create a reality to that. I really felt like that was actually happening around you. No, yeah, I mean, Thomas uh, Marwick, who did the um, visual effects of that, we had such a small budget, dude. I mean, I'm always embarrassed to like tell you how much we spent on it. It was really less than what we said on IMDb because we had to try to sell the movie. Sure, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. I'll disclose that to you right now. It actually wasn't that amount. But anyway. That's pretty common, though, you know, in, in, in indie film. Oh, yeah. Like, if we said, to be honest, if we spent like $3,000 and then the rest was split equity, right? And then and I was like, that's not enough. If you said you made the movie with $3,000, you're going to lowball you for like, oh, we'll just buy this movie for 5000 or whatever, right? Right, so, yeah. And the movie's been, you know, it, it's it's whatever. I mean, I, I don't mind disclosing that and having it on record. It's like, there's everybody knows. There's no way you, you could have spent $160,000 or whatever we put on IMDb and had it look this crappy. <laughs> it's hard, man. It's hard to make this visual effect because Thomas did a good job for whatever he had. Like, yeah. He's like, you know, it's like, you know, this is the best thing we could do. Milka did a great job filming it. You know, and, and writing the script, it was one of those things that we just put it together and it was a lot of heartache and crying and fighting. And yeah, man, it was just uh, acting without a B in front of you. And uh, I actually, I kept the one B that we uh, multiplied. Oh, we you shot did? in the uh, green screen. Nice. Yeah, he was going to throw it away. I think, dude, don't throw that away, man. That's like... <laughs> That's part of the history of the movie. You can't throw that away. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but so I kept that, and uh, it's huge. So Tsunami is based on this big bees, but then we made out of a wasp. You know, and Milko's really good with making monster puppets and stuff like that. Okay. Cool. It's like it's like two two and a half feet long. That's three feet. It's scary. It's That's, huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so we had to act with that that kind of a size of a monster right. attacking us. Yeah, I I thought. I mean, at least yeah, it doesn't look like a, a high budget uh, like ILM did it, but it, you definitely at least get the feeling that when you guys are in it, I don't I don't feel like there wasn't something there with you. You know, it, it at least had that element of realism. And I think especially for the budget and what you guys had to work with, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of that movie just because we uh, we we got it done. You know, I was more responsible with the organization of the movie. Just um, 
in my past background with uh, being in the leadership position for volunteer uh, organizations like Toastmasters and, um, you know, campaigns and stuff like that, you know, not non-paid. So that actually helped. And also, yeah, that, that one week that I spent as PA on the Lone Ranger helped out too. So I got to take all of that. And uh, Melka was a good artist, but he's, he's getting better now in an organization. His latest movies, uh, I think it's called Jurassic Funding, uh, or I forgot what it is. Um, it's uh, another latest film that Michael Davis did. Um, they're having a showing next August, but uh, he's doing really well now. For good, he had, he had one movie where he had Rachel Pennington, um, the MMA fighter, oh, wow. uh, Andy Hammond, okay, um, the bodybuilder. Uh, I think it was uh, Z Rex. I think it's called Z Rex. Wow. So uh, I think they name it differently in different countries, but he got to sell that movie too. So that was cool. So, um, but I just did a lot of background stuff. That's good though. And everything that you do in a movie, you learn from, and that makes the next project better. So even the short films that you're doing that, that you learn something on every one of them, and then that makes the next one better. And the one after that. And then when you work on somebody else's film, Sometimes that knowledge can bleed into their project and then they take that and it just yeah. gets bigger and better all the time, which is one of the things I really love about being an artist and working on different kinds of things. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, you just have uh, you just put out uh, well, you're in another movie that just came out. Uh, so tell us about that one. Oh, yes. Uh, it's by Nathan Clarkson and uh, it's, uh, it's a movie called The Unlikely Good Samaritan. Um my friend who I acted with in Tsunami, Russell Perry, the main character, and also um, Eric Roberts. Oh, the really? famous Eric Roberts from um, The Dark Knight. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Also, he, he, was, he was a big actor that I loved him from uh, that movie, Best of the Best. That's like, one of my favorite uh, movies uh, as a kid. Um, but yeah, he was in the movie. They shot his shots in uh, in L.A. and then we, did, we shot most of it here at Carver Springs. It's a Twister movie, and uh, I play a part in the movie, um, a supporting role, and Rosales is the main character, and it's pretty much based on the old Bible tale of uh, the Good Samaritan, and uh, it just premiered, and it was out on Amazon, iTunes, and Walmart. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was so stoked. It's like, uh, Nathan is a really good actor. Uh, he's had another movie come out on Netflix, so he knew he could sell this other one. And uh, he got Eric Roberts to swap part, and uh, and then he, he just marketed well and was able to sell it to somebody to sell it at Walmart, you know, on iTunes and Amazon. It's like, that's so cool. Yeah, that really is. And, and Eric Roberts, you know, that guy is one of those people that just is in so many things, even if he's got just a cameo or, you know, a couple of lines or whatever. He just does so much work. That's kind of awesome to be oh, able yeah. to wrangle him for a couple of days to do some scenes for you. Yeah, I thought that was really cool that he uh, he was in this movie. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, I feel so honored, man. I was like, oh, my the dark night. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and uh, and we'll have the links too in the show notes to to you and how to get a hold of you for some SEO stuff and and uh, to check out the movies. Man, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, especially after all these years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
for having me on the show. I, I definitely wanted to visit you sometime in the, in the future in Las Vegas. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate you uh, having me on the show and and uh, great podcast. I always want to start a podcast myself. I have the equipment. Mm-hmm. I haven't started it yet. <laughs> me and my friend were supposed to do it, but I'm so happy that you're doing your podcast. You know, so congratulations to you and your on Thank all your you. success. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on your uh, your pod- podcast today. Definitely. And and I hope that you get yours up and running one of these days. I was really looking forward to it. I was bummed when you said it was on hold, but I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that it, you know, but it's, it's, it's a very time involved thing. So it, yeah. you know, you have to factor that in and uh, it's, it's fun and I love it. I love getting to talk to people and, and uh, you know, the, the listeners are learning different things and enjoying the conversations and it's, it's really rewarding. So fingers crossed to you, my friend. Thank you, man. Definitely. Well, come back and see us again. And in the meantime, just, man, keep doing what you're doing because you got so many good things going on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'll uh, keep working at it and hopefully, uh, you know, going to make the move from, well, I will never stop doing SEO, but I really want to really do more of my art for sure, man. And you do the same, man. Keep making music. Uh, um, I'm listening to some of your stuff. It's great. Thank you. And uh, uh, congratulations again on your success, man. So good to catch up with you. Thank you. We'll take care and we'll we'll definitely talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Scott. You bet. I appreciate it, man. Bye-bye. What a great guy. And I got to make a couple of quick corrections before I forget. Uh, it was Alibaba that I purchased some uh, some things from in the past, and then I got hounded by the particular vendor uh, just incessantly to buy more. It was a really bad experience, but that was just that one vendor uh, willing to give them another shot because uh, they have thousands of them. Uh, and then I did not go to Colorado College. I went to Colorado Tech. Uh, which is a completely different school that's more designed towards computers and electronics. Uh, sometimes in the moment, and you know, all this stuff was years ago, uh, you know, you tend to forget the specific details. But other than that, thank you, Charlie, for coming on. Check him out, uh, follow him, learn from him, have him check out your website. He's a great, a very intelligent guy. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Haskell Cast podcast, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>